Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the second of a half movie night. I'm here with Caitlin Kane. Hi. Now, Caitlin, you wanted to see this film. This is one of your favourite films as a kid. Why do you love Anastasia so much? I mean, where to start? It's just one of the best animated films of the 90s, I think, without without a doubt. Anastasia, she's just such a great character. She's so feisty. I mean, I hate the word feisty, but I'm going to use it. Her, the, mo- the romance with Dimitri, it's, it's dreamy. Ah, that, I think we've hit the crux of why Caitlin loves Anastasia so yes. much. Yes, Dimitri is like the quintessential cute 90s boy with his Leonardo DiCaprio floppy hair. And his he's got this like, I mean, I don't want to dive into the details too quickly, but the whole his whole look is just um, sublime. Yeah, I think we'll be coming back to, uh, to Dimitri after a while. But I think we should start this thing since this is nominally a podcast about history, talking a little bit about the uh, history of Anastasia. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that upon rewatching this as an adult, you realise that the film is aggressively ahistorical. (laughs) Yes. I remember we were watching Mrs. Brown, and we were doing the series on Beatrice at the time, and we noted that Beatrice was in it not once or if she was an unnamed character entirely. And I noted that um, it took, I think, three quarters of the film for Alexandra or Alex even to be mentioned. Mm-hmm. And she is she's not even present in the big ball scene at the beginning of the film. She is not, she's not even there. No, you, do, you don't need her. Like <laughs> Anastasia's sisters and uh, Alexi. You, do, you don't need them. Um, actually, come to think of it, what we should really do for the beginning is just explain the film very broadly to our uh, to our listeners, maybe who have not watched it or uh, have not watched it recently. So the whole film is about the legend of the Princess Anastasia, or Anastasia, as people would like her to be called. She, of course, was killed with the rest of her family. Spoiler alert, we haven't got there in the podcast, but she is. But there is a legend around that she survived somehow. And this film sort of plays on that. Mm. It has um, some characters from history, some made up. We discover her in uh, in an orphanage with, with amnesia. Uh, she travels to St. Petersburg, discovers Dimitri, who is a, a chancer who is looking to trick... A con man with a heart of gold. Exactly. 
trying to trick uh, Anastasia's grandmother, who will pay any money to find her lost granddaughter. Mm. And the, but everyone is shocked when it turns out that she, you know, this is actually the real Anastasia. They travel to Paris, reunited with the grandmother, but Rasputin follows them there. There's a big fight. And in the end, uh, Rasputin is defeated and Anastasia runs off with Dimitri in the Seine on a boat. Um, Yes, you missed a key part there, which was that um, in Anastasia, the Bolshevik Revolution doesn't happen. No, World War I doesn't happen either. (laughs) The only only evil is Rasputin um, and his his curse that he's wrought against the the nobility. Against the Romanovs. Yes. Well, I think, I mean, the nobility in general seems to have fled out of fear of Rasputin and Rasputin Mm. alone. Yes. So I guess we should uh, start off with the first scene in the film. Um, It reminds me a bit of Braveheart, where I once counted 15 inaccuracies just in the first minute. (laughs) Um, So the film starts off in 1916 with the 100th anniversary of the Romanov dynasty. Uh, That actually happened in 1913. Just to let you know. That's <laughs> so already... we're already off on a bad start. <laughs> yes, we're already off on a bad start. But I think the central sort of inaccuracy or thing that the film plays on is the idea that Rasputin hated the Romanovs and the Romanovs hated Rasputin. And there's really no explanation for that in the film. It's just taken as a given from the beginning. No, there's a brief mention that, you know, he w- they trusted him, but it turned out that he was a fraud... And they sort of banish him and he comes back. I don't want to go into this too much because obviously we haven't got that, that far in the podcast, but that's absolutely not true. Uh, the Romanovs were loyal to Rasputin right up until the end. Mm. Everyone else hated him. <laughs> um, the only defence from an historical accuracy point of view, one would say, is that the story is told from the perspective of the Dowager Empress and she hated Rasputin. Yeah. And so perhaps this is her... Putting a positive spin. Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> let's go with that, shall we? I mean, I, I would just say at this point, you know, we're not trying to uh, go too hard on the historical accuracy on this film. It's not really even pretending to be accurate. So uh, I, I'm not saying these are unforgivable sins, but I felt that we ought to point them out. So, of course, the Empress plays it off as if uh, everyone loved the Romanovs. They were universally popular. And then suddenly Rasputin curses them and suddenly revolution happens. Mm. Didn't obviously didn't happen that way. They were uh, very unpopular. They didn't mention the fact that World War One was going on. This is all happening in 1916. Mm-hmm. But everyone seems to be rap- <laughs> remarkably uh, happy-go-lucky at the time. I mean, there's even tiny inaccuracy the fact that the, the Romanovs were never. This whole thing happens in the Winter Palace. They were never there in 1916. They were only ever in uh, in Zaska Salo in the outskirts of St. Petersburg. But again, that seems like horrendous nitpicking. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, truly, I mean. It- to go that deep, there's so many more. <laughs> there's so much more on the surface that we could talk mm. about. Because like Marie does play quite a big part in in the film. She does, um, and uh, just to uh, to burst a few more bubbles. Um, first of all, the film has her um, escaping to Paris. She did not escape to Paris. She actually um, stayed in Russia for a very long time after the revolution. So she uh, spent most of the war in Kiev. Uh, and then she moved to the Crimea after the revolution. And she stayed there until 1919, which was a very brave thing to do. Possibly very foolhardy. She got out just in time. The uh, British rode to the rescue, sent a destroyer, pick her up. And then she didn't go to Paris, unfortunately. Oh. She went to London 
for a bit to hang out with her sister, her sister Alexandra, different Alexandra, the uh, the well, the former queen of the U- UK, uh, the uh, husband, uh, the wife of uh, Edward the Seventh, and uh, but by then she was a dowager queen. Uh, and then when she died, she moved back to Denmark because Maria was originally from Denmark, so she spent the rest of her time there. there so did is... she ever live in Paris? Because nope. Paris plays a big part in the film. No, she spent absolutely no time in Paris. I say when um, when Anastasia's little before um, revolution happens, she's you know she says that she misses her grandmother when she's away in Paris. Nope. <laughs> um, I haven't done a huge amount of uh, research on this. I do think quite a few Romanovs did end up in Paris. But I honestly think this is just an excuse to show Paris. Yeah, uh, it's a great scene. It's a great song. It's a great. There's a lot of great songs. It's Paris in the twenties. It's a very romantic time to be in the city, mm. but that didn't happen. She also did not have reward money. Mm. This whole central tenet of the film is that they're trying to claim this ten million rubles. Uh, she did not do that. She did not really cling on to any hope or belief that uh, any of the family survived, mm. and. Uh, as far as I can tell. I mean, if listeners have found evidence that I haven't, then please do mm. write in. Um, but there was no there was no reward. That whole thing didn't happen. Uh, and then, obviously, Rasputin, I should say, did not come back from the dead in purgatory. You shock me. <laughs> no, the, uh, she, he, so he dies before the fall of the Romanovs, actually, in 1916 again. Uh, that's a really great story that I won't get into in this show because I really want to save it for the podcast. I do think Ra- the Rasputin's role in this film is possibly the oddest part of the movie. Well, I remember you said to me bef- when we were discussing the film that you thought that he was there for the boys. Yes, it seems like in the dark of the night, they just thought it was missing that little bit of like intriguing body horror. <laughs> and... Um, because it really is quite disturbing, like the part where his head goes into his chest cavity and his bat friend has to pull it out again, which I just really can't see why why that song exists otherwise in a otherwise nice romantic um, romp. Although, as I say, as a child, I did love it. So there's that. So on the list of... Uh, actually, one thing, uh, final thing, and this is the last inaccuracy I would say. One thing that bothered me was actually Anastasia's age. So she, they have her as being a little girl in 1916, uh, when she was actually... She was a teenager then, wasn't she? Yeah, when she was actually uh, 15 mm. uh, at 1916. And then she, she would have been 25 when the actual film took place, um, whereas they seem to flip that. But again, that's not a great story. We'll live <laughs> that. We'll let them forgive that. So things they got right... Um, as we found out in the last episode, um, Anastasia, like the rest of her sisters, had a dog. And you were very taken with the dog in the film. The dog is also on my list of excellent parts about the film. He's so cute. I don't think they could have made a cuter dog if they tried. I was thinking back about the animated dogs of my youth and which ones were the cutest. And I really did love Madeline's dog. But I think, I think Puka is just, he's, a, he's an A-star dog. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, famous dogs from animated films, and obviously there's the Dalmatians. And there's, well, obviously this is not from our charter, but maybe from the charter of some of my listeners, mm. there's um, the dog in Up. Yes, I wasn't factoring him in. <laughs> it's a bit too recent for me. 
Um, okay, so we're going to talk about the thing that we've all come to talk about, which is Dimitri. Yes, I was going to say, it's been it's been too long. We've been on this podcast for too long, and I haven't had a chance to talk about Dimitri. So, um, um, so Dimitri is based, I believe, off some some kind of historical character in the sense of there were people out there trying to find fake Romanovs uh, and sort of present them. There, there was no real, as far as I can tell, there was no real like Romanov fortune, but obviously there's an awful lot of fame uh, that you can gain from being a lost Romanov. You know, you can uh, public appearances, all that stuff. So th- those kinds of people did exist. Um, as far as I can tell, none of them are called Dimitri. And none of them are quite so handsome as Dimitri. He's just so, as I said, con man with a heart of gold who has the best love-hate relationship with Anastasia. And then at the end, just does the best thing you can do, which is he doesn't need the reward money. Like what he really wants can to be handed over to him like that. Um and then there's the classic bit of misunderstanding where she thinks that he has taken the money and he doesn't really love her, but um as they pass each other on the stairs and then and then um and then her grandma says, Oh no, he didn't take the money after all, and then they can be in love. It's just the best story. It's a tale as old as time, really. Exactly, it's a tale as exactly. old as time. Um especially when I feel like I need to return to the quintessential cute boy look of Dimitri, where he has he has on his um sort of long sleeve sort of collarless polo neck with his button down shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and then he's wearing the, the waistcoat. It's just so much. And come to think of it, that actually, um, Anastasia also has a great look throughout this film. Um, especially in the beginning with her like newsboy hat and oversized trench coat and like her little ankle boots. It was very like nineties chic and I appreciated it. Yeah, you can this film yeah. you can really tell it was made in the nineties. <laughs> like the um, the haircut, the sort of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio haircut yes. uh was on, on Dimitri I, they were definitely modelling it was John Kushak who was the uh yeah, the voice. Was. Yeah. I think they wanted, they must have wanted Leo and couldn't get him, <laughs> because they really just really modelled mm. him after that. I guess we should also talk about the songs, of course, as a, as a musical film. Some great songs. I think Journey from the Past, I loved so much as a kid. Um, definitely the best song in the film for me. Yeah, I think you can't argue with that. Although uh, Once Upon a December, I mean, classic. Perry Holds the Key to Your Heart, classic. If I Can Learn to, oh my, they're all good songs, they're all good songs. So your favourite? Oh, definitely Journey to the Past. Why? It's just, I mean, first of all, it's where we meet Puka, so it has that going for it. She's like romping through the snow in her little impractical ankle boots. Um, And it's just got really, it's just a really good um, sort of hero's journey song. What's yours? Well, I'm going to be a real indie so-and-so here and say my favourite song is not actually in the film it's in the musical oh the musical yeah. the musical uh, has uh, as as many musical adaptations do uh, creates a few original songs and they have a song called In My Dreams all about sort of Anastasia remembering some parts of her past and it's a really beautiful mm. song I listened to that today because I wasn't that familiar with the musical um, until until we started decided we were going to do this podcast um, and it does. That's a great song. It has very much um, a Santa Fe vibes from Newsies. If any uh, of your listeners are musical theater fans, as am I, <laughs> and will know what I'm talking about. 
But the musical is super weird. Yeah, so neither of us have seen the musical, because neither of us live in New York City. Uh, It has not transferred yet. We're all fingers crossing our fingers, hoping it will eventually come to London. But yes, it's a very different plot, so Rasputin isn't in the musical. No, they replace him with the Bolsheviks. Yes, I think they, they, they add some history there. And there's a weird love triangle as well. Yes. So the main bad guy replacing um, Rasputin is a Bolshevik general called Gelb, I believe. And he has a very odd set of motivations um, and sort of falls in love with Anastasia even as he's trying to kill her, which as a I mean, hardcore Dimitri stan, I'm, I'm not about. <laughs> and I sort of wonder about is it is it smart to try to inject any amount of history into the Anastasia story? Yeah, I mean, people get very first, people get very angry about historical accuracy in films. In general, I my level of annoyance with historical accuracy in films is is in relation to how much historical accuracy they claim to have. So, if a film plays real like big store and like, oh, we did all the research, we've been really faithful, we've done all this, done all that, then I will, I will slam them if they do something. Not necessarily they change a few things to make the narrative work because history doesn't necessarily neatly fit into a two-hour film script. But if they just do something weird and lazy, this one they're not even trying. So I don't really care. Yeah, this film is was put together by hastily judging by the animation style which isn't great hastily by fox realizing that they needed to get on the disney bandwagon and they already had some anastasia material left over from a film they made in the the 50s yeah i remember watching this and think i just assumed for some reason that it was disney film and like oh god they really let themselves go here they really (laughs) really rushed this one out (laughs) so yeah as a as a sort of historical film it certainly has its problems uh, it's a very good-looking film in terms of the um, the scenes. You know, you got your um, got the Winter Palace with uh, you see it in its sort of finery, and then you see it in ruins. I particularly enjoyed the fact that they got the ruins of the Winter Palace that's seemingly abandoned. It still has all the art on the walls. Yes, let's talk about that. Not only all the art on the walls, but like the tables are still set. <laughs> and- the tables are still set. There's still ornaments on. Yes, all of the pottery is like you know impeccably in place. Uh, like, you would have thought that this was a, some sort of palace in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm not sure how many people here who are listening have been to St. Petersburg, but the Winter Palace is, like, right in the centre of the city. Mm-hmm. These are people around who are clearly, you know... It, it, it wasn't a particularly wealthy place to be, many of the people in the city at that time. The idea that they would not have ransacked every single, like... Mm-hmm thing if it was truly abandoned, which I would actually add it wasn't. It was turned immediately into a museum, which it still is. It's this part of the State Hermitage Museum in Russia. Um, but in the film, it's this sort of weird abandoned place that only Dmitri and what's his Vlad. face? And Vladimir hang out in. But it's the perfect scene for them to meet Anastasia. When they're walking down like the grand staircase and Dimitri's all like, no, she's going to come after us. And Vlad's like, no, we left too early. You should have tried to convince her more. And he does the like, holding up the fingers one, two, um, three thing. I mean, it's just a beautiful place to set um, their first meeting. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's an amazing place. I would I would strongly encourage any one of you who have the means to go to go to St. Mm. Petersburg. It's like a sort of a really fancy Amsterdam on steroids. Some of these mm. some of these buildings. 
That's one of the things they do in the musical as well, um, is they acknowledge that it was called Leningrad at the time. Yeah, they don't. They they they, they sort of don't try and um, avoid the fact that it was called. Okay, well, if we're being hypercritical, it wasn't called St. Petersburg in 1916 because St. Petersburg sounds a bit too German, so they called it Petrograd. But again, let's 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 forgive them. It that. doesn't fit as neatly into the songs. Well, I don't think. Well, have you heard? There's a rumor in Petrograd. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't have the same ring to it. Yes, mm. I figure we should also talk a little bit about the history behind the legend of Anastasia. But so, it's a great conspiracy theory. I think A-class conspiracy theory, really. So I mentioned earlier that there were always these um, rumours that the Romanovs survived. Because basically what happened was, is that, again, spoiler alert, the communists killed them all. But they were savvy enough to know that murdering a lot of small children doesn't go across great in the sort of domestic or international media scene. So they initially only announced that they'd killed Nicholas. Because, I don't know, regicide you know, is the slightly more socially acceptable than um, infanticide, well, infanticide, but killing children. So they initially announced that they killed Nicholas, and then it sort of came out later that the whole family had been killed. Um, so there was this always this rumour, this conspiracy that actually they didn't kill the children, that somehow some of them survived. Anastasia was the main person that the rumours circulate around. I think for a few reasons. One, she was the youngest and the cutest. That always helps. She was also the most, she's also the most sort of interesting from a sort of a media point of view, a pe- a PR point of view, because she was mischievous, she was a tomboy, she played tricks. Um, she's just kind of that you know kid that everyone loves in sort of in films and things. And they sort of play out that a bit in the film, you know, they sort of how she used to drive her sisters mad. Mm. Like one of her sisters gets a mensch. She's the only yes. like, <laughs> Olga gets a brief mensch. Now the rest of them are in a picture, but otherwise they mm. just utterly dead. Well, there's to them. the dream scene where they're where the whole family's there, except for Alexandra. <laughs> <laughs> So there were always there were a lot of imposters, not just of Anastasia. There were uh, her sister Marie. I think there were a couple as well. But the most famous imposter and the one that all stories of Anastasia are based off uh, is the story of a, a woman called Anna Anderson, who was a very troubled woman. Um, she was in a uh, mental institution uh, in the twenties, and she claimed that she had recovered from some sort of amnesia and that she was actually the princess or Grand Duchess Anastasia. Um, she was met by a lot of people that knew the uh, new Anastasia, including um, her tutor, Pierre Gilliard. If you saw the Netflix series, The Last Tsar, which is another very odd thing to watch. It's like hard history with like sex, a lot of sex and violence at the side. <laughs> It'd be like loads of historians talking about something and it's hard cut to violent sex. <laughs> it was very odd. But that series uses the, um, the story of Anna Anderson as a sort of a framing device. But she was sort of, some people believed her, but most people didn't, but she continued claiming it right up until like the 1970s. She tried to claim it in court, in the German court in the 70s, and she lost because she couldn't prove that she was. 
and um, there were some various DNA testing because there's an awful lot of relatives of Anastasia around, but um, she continued claiming it. And the main reason why they couldn't be disproved is that they never found the bodies because, again, shockingly, the communists, the Soviet Union, were not too keen to really rub this in everyone's faces. So it wasn't until after the Soviet Union fell, I think it was in 2006, that the bodies were finally found um, and they tested the skeletons uh, using um, some DNA from surviving uh, royals, including Prince Philip, because he was related uh, to the Romanovs, because they all, everyone was related to the Romanovs. Um, and it turned out that Anastasia did, unfortunately, actually die. Um, but, but can we be sure? Yes, we can be sure. <laughs> we definitely can be sure she definitely died in that house. Mm. But uh, yeah, Anna Anderson is 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 the uh, the story behind it. I can't. I should have written it down. It, it turns out she was a German woman who wasn't even called Anna Anderson. Mm. She was called something something German. But it's a great story, you know, the lost princess. Yeah, everybody want like you want it to be true. And um it's such a good story, I think, as well for little girls. Um I think um Anya says it in the film. Um you know, doesn't every little girl hope that they're a princess? And it's so true. Um, you know, watching this as a as a kid, it's just fuels the dream that Ooh, maybe I was mistakenly taken away from my parents who are the king and queen and I'm a princess. <laughs> okay, so we're, I think we're coming to the end of our discussion, but I did promise um, some of my listeners that you were going to give a, a ranking of your favourite... I was say Disney princess, but obviously this isn't a Disney film. You've already said that Dimitri is, is the peak... Oh, in terms of the the cuteness of the of the animated princes. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. So Dimitri, definitely number one for me. Then I had a huge crush on Aladdin as well. Um, so Aladdin's number two. I think in terms of overall handsomeness, Prince Eric definitely comes in at a number three for me. Although he's not quite as interesting as Dimitri or Aladdin. Um, and yeah, those are the ones I care about. I think. Well, I think the thing is, yeah. is that the, the princes in, like, the old Disney films are nearly all incredibly dull. Mm. In so much as they have a personality, their personality is handsome prince. Mm. Yeah, like Prince, you know, Prince Charming in Cinderella. He's just charming, and that's all he is. What's the name of the prince in um, Sleeping Beauty? I can't remember. He's so bland. Yes. <laughs> I mean, everyone in that film is bland, except Maleficent. Maleficent is the only is the shining yes. light of that, yes. that film. Okay, so, Anastasia, marks out of ten, Caitlin. Ten. Ten? I've seen it so many... I've seen this film one million times, and I still enjoy it every time. Ah, yes, yeah. so I, I have to say I enjoyed it too. It's not... I, my problem was is that I didn't see it until uh, I was uh, in my 20s. So it's too late, too late. Exactly, exactly. Well, not it's too late for me, but mm. it's a great film. Well, I hope you also enjoy the film. Uh, there is a thread on the Facebook page for you to give your thoughts. Uh, do let me know what you think. Uh, we will be back in two weeks after Christmas and New Year for the next installment of the story of Alex, and then we will also be doing another movie night. Another it, movie night. Yes, exactly. Another movie night in a few weeks' time. And uh, so keep your eyes peeled on the Facebook page and your ears straining 
is streaming to the uh, to the podcast itself to find out what we'll be watching. But until then, happy Christmas, everyone! Happy Christmas. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.